Welcome to the People Leaders Podcast, the audio resource for managers and business leaders creating high-performing teams. Join leadership and team development experts Jen and Michelle Turkelson each week as they explore both subjects from every angle. Through practical tips, valuable insights, and compelling interviews with leadership experts around the world, you'll learn how to bring out the best in your staff and how to give your best as a leader. So here we are again. Hi, Shell. Hey. Uh, so we've got a wonderful uh, conversation coming up on our podcast uh, today, and I think that it's really appropriate considering what everyone is going through. And, you know, as you know, Michelle, you and I were on that mental health check or first aid health check. What was it? Yeah, it's called mental first aid. Mental first aid. <laughs> and Michelle and I were on um, a workshop. So we were on the receiving end of the workshop. And it was really interesting to see another facilitator in action, as you mm-hmm. know, we obviously do, but in this realm of mental first aid. And, you know, like one in five Australians are, you know, really challenged by their mental health. And I think mm. that's um, a really um wonderful reminder about if you're leading teams or leading people that was the biggest takeaway for me was that as opposed to going down the performance route straight up let's just be mindful of their mental health you know what could be going on you know for them in their mental health before we go down that performance so that was the the big takeaway for me Yeah, isn't that interesting, Jen, because I just got off a coaching call and the biggest takeaway for one of the managers was seek first to understand (laughs) and then to be understood. It was like, oh, that's gold. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, we love Stephen Covey. Yeah, yeah, and that's why I think this conversation that we're having with Sophie this morning is such an important one because um, Sophie, who we're going to bring on in a minute, is an addiction recovery coach and um, she also has another um, uh, a business as a brand strategist so she she straddles both sides which I think is you know really interesting um she's grown up in uh, Switzerland and the UK and Sophie now lives in Australia and works with clients worldwide so she obviously has that breadth um during um her prior 10-year marketing career with world-class brands like Royal Albert Hall in London Heston Blumenthal's restaurant group in the UK um, she did hold uh, senior level leadership roles and executive board positions so after overcoming her own challenges with highly functioning addiction Sophie uses her personal transformation experiences to help others encounter uh, long-term rewarding personal growth and looks at life satisfaction on the other side of addiction. Uh, She is known for her experience um, that it's possible to attain and maintain a life of meaning, purpose and joy in recovery, which, you know, I think is such a a wonderful aspiration. And Sophie owns a recovery coaching practice and I love um, the title of her practice and it is The Wolf You Feed and Mm. um, the co-founder from here on, which is a recovery coaching practice offering at-home rehab programs and then these are specifically designed for executives. So welcome and come on in, Sophie. (laughs) Hi, thank you so much for having me on. It's great to be here. Oh, terrific. And what, so, Sophie, we actually, we discovered that we live in the same suburb. 
Yes. Yeah. How bizarre. And so once um, once lockdown is over, we are definitely going to catch up for a face-to-face coffee. Absolutely. <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> okay. So welcome, Sophie. So got a few questions for you, but, you know, the first one top of mind for, for, for me is so can you step us through what is recovery coaching? Yeah, please? for sure. Um, so if we look at the meaning of recovery, first of all, um, the first meaning uh, of the two is a return to a normal state of health, mind or strength. And the second is the actual process of regaining possession or control of something lost or stolen. And these are both really relevant in recovery coaching. Um, it's So recovery coaching is for people in addiction um, and can look very different for everyone. It's it's essentially a non-clinical, self-directed, strengths-based partnership between coach and client. Um, and the main goal is achieving long-term recovery and addiction and also improved quality of life. Um, it's based on proactive, forward-thinking, accountable change, often shaped around habit forming and goal setting and, and so on. It's actually also quite important to mention what it isn't. Um, It's not a replacement for things like psychological support, uh, trauma-specific support, medical support or leadership coaching or anything like that. It's a real complementing coaching method for someone who really needs um, to look after their recovery first and foremost because without that, everything really falls away. Mm-hmm. Can I just ask, Sophie, how did you get into it? Because, it, it, in fact, I have been approached by some some clients that I've worked with, um, you know, challenged by this idea that, you know, everybody, you know, going out for drinks on Friday and I'm in recovery and are there some different ways that we can incorporate, you know, socialising and I thought, oh, my God, I hadn't even thought about that. So I'm really mindful of that now. Um, sorry, but I digress. So how, how did you actually get into it? I got into this um, through my own experiences. So um, I am in recovery of addiction myself, alcohol addiction, and um, it was a really, really hard journey. Um, I was what um, is called a, a highly functioning addict, um, which actually is a little bit um, of a misconception that that term because you don't really end up being highly functioning at all. Um, but nevertheless, for many years, I was able to, you know, keep up my lifestyle with this sort of in the shadows and it was really really painful difficult way of living um I went to rehab and after that I actually uh, worked with a recovery coach and I realized how effective it was for me you know that whole methodology around forward thinking being proactive um being someone who really thrived on um being a high achiever in my career it really worked well you know the whole goal setting and, and habit forming sort of element to it. it it was just it was synergy really for me and so I had the opportunity to actually um sort of um co-coach while I was over in Indonesia a few years ago and it really it it pressed a button you know a sort of purpose button in my heart and I really really just realized this was something that I needed and wanted to do um both for my own recovery because helping others and connection and all those sorts of things are so important for one's own recovery 
but also because it could help other people as well and knowing how painful life in addiction can be you know having an opportunity to help people either avoid that or get through it and then maintain a better life on the other side was a no-brainer really Mm. Yeah, beautiful. Well, you so articulated, you know, the benefits of the the coaching. Can you give us a little bit of a example of someone who is out of recovery? They're um, doing some coaching with you. What would be a typical example of a habit or something that they've started to incorporate? Just you know, slowly, slowly, that you have seen benefit over time. Mm. So what can happen um, with people who start in recovery is often that journey can start in rehab. And rehab's a really, really great place to start because it's a very solid um, safe space to be. But what can happen after that is those walls are taken away and someone goes straight back into their life of high pressure family issues that you know, we all have um, stresses and, and different issues that come up, however big or small. And so suddenly all those things start weakening everything that started in, in that rehab space. So as an example, if I work with someone who's just come out of rehab, we really look at what that real life looks like afterwards um, and start working habits and goals into how that's going to suit them specifically in their real life again. So an example of that might be, you know, someone that steps back into quite a high um, level leadership role. You know, suddenly they've got all these kind of big stresses and all of that kind of stuff. So we really peel back all the layers and just get back to the basics of what worked for them in rehab and then start building on that. And so what would be an example of that? Like, is it physical activity? Is it meditation? Is it journaling? What are some of those things? Yeah, all of the above, really. Um, and that's how the things start off quite small. And mm. that's the things that they can relate to back to rehab, because they're often the things that are, you know, given as sort of support uh, methods to use. Um, they're then just brought into that more real sense in terms of how they can really apply that in their real time um back at home you know make sure that it looks realistic to them so if in rehab for example it looked realistic to journal for an hour do exercise for an hour and meditate for an hour in the morning um that's not going to be realistic in their then new and real life so we look at going okay well what's the time you've got in the morning it's 15 minutes okay we'll work with 15 minutes we'll do what we can in that 15 minutes and then everything else sort of stems from that and we grow from there how do you find because I'm just imagining this is good for everybody like you know whether you're a leader or an employee or self-employed you know what do they what do your clients say to you in terms of the spillover effects of recovery coaching Do, do they talk about that in terms of their leadership or absolutely yeah I mentioned um something earlier that you know I sort of love this this wording of if recovery isn't in place everything else falls away and it's so true and if recovery is in place everything actually strengthens in the opposite way so people really see a huge benefit in family life relationships partnerships um you know everything really because what starts to grow is things like self-compassion courage confidence and all those sorts of things so 
when they're able to manage life as someone in recovery, everything else becomes a lot more manageable as well. And then they learn to start excelling again and and all of those sorts of things that they used to rely on alcohol or other addictive behaviours to sort of do. Mm-hmm. And Sophie, sorry, Jan, and then you can ask your question. But in terms of, um, you know, somebody engaging your, your services, how long, like, is there a typical engagement, like, cycle or, or period of time? How does that work? It really varies. Um, a sort of standard would be a, a, to start off with 10 weeks um, mm-hmm. and, and do one session a week. But I've also had instances where if someone's you know, really on the edge of relapse, we'll have a session every day for a couple of weeks. Mm, yeah, really great. The accountability and the support if they're in that super wobbly stage. Um, other people who haven't got as extreme types of recovery journeys or addiction experiences um, actually fall into a category called um, grey area drinking, which is quite a sort of trendy thing in America, especially at the moment, where People don't really think they've got an addiction and they certainly don't relate to the word addict um, or alcoholic or anything like that, but they do recognise that their habits and behaviours aren't serving them very well. So they're much more mild if we're looking at a sort of spectrum of addiction. With someone like that, it might be a case of checking in every couple of weeks and, you know, doing some accountability. But generally speaking, it will be that 10 weeks, you know, once Mm. a week and then maintenance after that. Mm. So, Sophie, are you doing face-to-face and virtual or what is your um, process at the moment? Well, at the moment, everything's virtual um, Mm -hmm. because of the the world that we're living in. But actually, it's, it's, you know, in funny ways, it's sort of opened up business for me because it allows it to be worldwide and this mm. is a worldwide pandemic in terms of mm. addiction. you know mm. It's mm. Worldwide, it affects everyone it's not something that used to you know I think people used to think addiction was something that just happened on skid row um and it's not it happens everywhere and, mm. and for everyone and it's not necessarily mm. just because of a traumatic experience or just because of a, a bad childhood you know someone who's had the perfect childhood perfect upbringing great schooling all of those things can still fall into addiction so that's why um online's working for me um and that's in the form of one-to-ones and i'm slowly moving into um some sort of group sessions now right yeah yeah because that's what i wanted to ask you also is that we have found that as an experience as well we've also found as an experience that people um are quite comfortable in the um, the Zoom, especially, so if we're doing group coaching, you know, we do breakout rooms and we do um, coming to, but people are in their own physically safe surroundings mm. and we have found some mm. incredible coaching experiences happen mm. virtually, you know, as opposed to years ago people were not, we're only doing face-to-face, whereas now once they are forced into experiencing it sometimes, they go, hey, okay. I actually are getting getting the benefit from that. And is that what you're finding as well? 
the absolutely yeah yeah. Mm. and often um the personalities of of some people with um addiction challenges they can be a little bit you know the extra things that come along with that are things like anxiety so having that safety wall of the screen rather than in person works really well and in terms of groups it works really well for, for example, I'm doing this afternoon a habit-forming workshop, um, you know, how people can find structure, uh, sorry, freedom through structure in recovery. So um, that sort of thing works really well in a group environment. Yep. The, there is a big place for the one-to-one, though, given mm. the topic and the subject mm. matter. This is a mm. lot of personal stuff. So some things work really well and some things you know a better one-to-one and some are better as a group yeah Mm. just like in coaching all coaching and because I also read in your bio that you are ICF accredited as well yeah yeah and and so are we you know we we think it is a um uh um a good foundation for coaching to you know for coaches to have some type of accreditation doesn't necessarily always make you a good coach but it has some type of framework you know I find yeah, I think it's really important because, um, you know, I think coaching has become a little bit of a loose term and, uh, you know, without wanting to sort of badmouth too much and um, some of the, the courses online, people suddenly can get a certification after doing a two-hour course mm. and not much, um, you know, checking going on. So having something that's, that's you know, really thorough and accredited. Oh, yeah, it's rigorous, yeah super important and um, both from a personal confidence in what I do perspective but also for other people to know that they're working with someone that knows what they're doing yeah great now Sophie I'm, I'm I'm putting my sort of managers leaders cap on now and I'm thinking man I might actually have people within my team that are in recovery how could I you know lessen the stigma associated with that open open up the environment that allows me as a leader to support somebody who might be in recovery. Could could you give us some ideas on how or, you know, we might approach that? That's such a great question. I think that, um, yeah, as you mentioned, stigma, it's just Mm. that's the elephant in the room and it's, it's painful because I think, you know, to what you were mentioning earlier about the first aid course or day that you went to, this is really part of mental health. And yeah. I think if we can position it as that and see, allow people to see it in the perspective of mental health, mm-hmm. it's it up as a much more um, realistic thing that could happen to any of us and mm. more shareable in terms of if someone does relate to having having that kind of challenge in their own life. So, Sophie, if um, I'm listening to this now and I might think that, I'm in the grey area or I know someone in the grey area, what would be the next most logical step that you could recommend? Um, I think if if someone's in a grey area and they're not quite sure, the, fir- the first point of checking is being really honest um, about the behaviour or the use. Um, we can be quite crafty with an addiction and that includes being crafty with ourselves. And um, so having raw honesty with the reality of the levels or, you know, the impacts and all that kind of stuff can be a really, really good starting point. Um, there are, there's, a, there's an addiction cycle model that's quite interesting. Um, there's a five sort of standard 
um, stages and then a sixth potential one. First one is pre-contemplation. That's where someone's not interested and doesn't believe there's an issue. Um, the second one is contemplation, and that's where they're a little bit more open to motivational or non-judgmental information. The third one is planning. That's where they've decided actually or realized I need to do something about this. Fourth is action. That's where they really sort of get into the nitty gritty of, of doing the work. And then the fifth is maintenance. That's where the recovery maintenance comes in. Now, there's a sixth stage, um, and that's relapse, and that's if the maintenance falls away. So that's where the cycle can keep going. So um, if someone is in the pre-contemplation stage, that's where they're most open. So to what you were saying, Michelle, about how you could potentially sort of, you know, broach this or, or make it an open subject, if people are in that stage and it's seen as something that's, you know, okay to talk about, that's where someone's going to be most receptive to then getting to the mm. next stage of planning. Um, and the other thing, Jan, to what you were saying about if someone else is in that position, um, I think the most important things, the ways we can approach it is with compassion and non-judgment mm. um you know just being there for someone not trying to change them not trying to advise or mm. force them into anything is the best way of allowing them to come to the decision themselves that this is the best thing for them obviously there can be um a point at which someone has to be removed from a certain environment but that's much later on in a very extreme case mm-hmm. Lovely. And even, you know, if I'm a manager and I'm listening to a podcast, this could be something that, you know, you bring up in a team meeting, you know, just something like, hey, this is what I've heard. This is the um, the person who spoke about, um, if anyone in the, and, and here is the, the link and the resource, just to kind of um, uh, show and demonstrate that mm. there is um, information out there and that there is no stigma. It's worthwhile kind of, you know, having a conversation, even just sharing a resource that's what you're doing yeah absolutely yeah and there are so many resources it's actually unbelievable yeah. you know the world of addiction is very isolating the world of recovery is connected <laughs> and it's everywhere you know podcasts um leaders there i mean even looking at the hollywood actors you know 90 percent of them are in recovery you know mm. it, it's quite unbelievable how um rife it is so yeah making people aware that there are these different types of resources available is is a great thing to do for sure Mm. and then um before we wrap up i just wanted to um ask you about the wolf that you feed so could you just share with our listeners you know why you use that as your um your brand yeah sure so um it's based on an old parable um it's based on an old uh, an old Cherokee who's teaching his grandson about life and um he says there's a fight going on inside me it's a terrible fight and it's between two wolves and one's evil he's um anger envy regret greed arrogance and and guilt and so on and the other one is a good one um he's joy peace love hope humility kindness empathy generosity um, and he says, the same fight is going on inside you and every other person too. And the grandson thinks about it for a minute and says, well, which wolf wins? And the old Cherokee says, the one you feed. So this whole 
coaching practice is based around feeding that good wolf and feeding it with all the things that fulfill us and make us feel whole and good and full of compassion and, and love um, and all those lovely bits and, 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 you know, moving forward in life with all those things being fed and satiated. Mm-hmm. And what a good question, a reflective question. You know, like what wolf um, am I feeding right now? What wolf did I feed today? And what wolf yeah. do I want to really feed tomorrow? And that's, you know, we often talk about setting that intention, but it's also, you know, what am I feeding myself through my thoughts yeah. and actions? Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. In terms of intention setting, that's such a, I love that, you know, just thinking, okay, which wolf am I feeding today or which mm, yeah. wolf am I feeding yesterday? It's such a mm. lovely way of harnessing mm. the whole concept behind it. Mm. Oh, that's so, wonderful. It's a love lesson. Yeah. So Sophie, um, how can people reach out to you? And also what are you working on or most excited about right now? So, um, I'm well in the short term I'm really excited about this workshop this afternoon we've got um, a few people on there and you know (laughs) I I love those environments as I'm sure you both um, you know see why Um, in the longer term from here on which you mentioned earlier Jan is a a new project and that's really um, sort of you know in its first stages at the moment so I'm super excited about really you know pushing that one and and getting it off the ground Um, People can find me at thewolfyoufeed.com or on Instagram under the same name, um, or they can find me on fromhereon.com.au. And there's heaps of information on there if anyone's interested or curious or just having a think about their own uh, patterns and behaviours. There's lots on there. Lovely. Well, yes, I'm following you right now. Oh, me too. I'm just doing me too. That's exactly. <laughs> I'm just do it straight away. Right. I love it. Oh, my thank, God, we are twins. Thank you so much, Sophie. Um, that was a really reflective conversation and something that, um, yeah, I'm just going to, um, yeah, think about as well, you know, because not not only for myself but also people around me right now who might be um, be challenged and, you know, ultimately it's, you know, be kind. <laughs> you know, be kind to yourself, yeah, be kind self. to each yeah. other. Be mindful of the the thoughts you think and the words that you say. Um, so thank you for sharing your um, purpose with us. Thanks so much for having me. It's been amazing being on with you guys. So thanks. Thanks, so. You've been listening to the People Leaders Podcast with Michelle and Jan Turkelson. For show notes and other free resources, please visit us at peopleleaderspodcast.com. Do you know someone else who could benefit from cutting-edge leadership and management techniques? Please take a moment to share this and other episodes via your podcast app, email, or social media channels. Each share helps us fulfill our goals of reducing workplace stress and increasing job satisfaction for leaders, managers, and their teams worldwide. The People Leaders Podcast is brought to you by the Experts On Air Podcast Network.